Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Omni Talk Fast Five. It is November 5th, 2020. Today's episode is brought to you by Fast Sensor and Takeoff. I am Chris Walton, and I'm joined, as always, by my partner in crime, Ann Mazinga, and Emma the Intern. Today, we're going to talk Walmart's new lab stores, Wayfair and Pier One, the new Alibaba and Farfetch rumors, Postmates' new retail platform, and close with a debate about whether meal kits are a fat ad or a post-pandemic fixture. But first, Anne and Emma the Intern, how the heck was your Tuesday night? Ugh. <laughs> I don't yeah, really know. Just bed. Oh, I don't know. I mean, I... I feel like, like, I think I told you this, but I felt like Tuesday night was just a series of cat naps. It was like 30 to 45 minutes of sleep, wake up, check the phone, no, no updates, sleep, check the phone, no updates until, you know, four or five in the morning. You yeah, were up I, late I, too, right? I was, I, I didn't go to bed till about two. I was, I was so into it. Like I've, I've been watching this stuff. I was telling my mom the other day. I can remember as a seven-year-old watching the returns on Mondale and Reagan, and there was no point to that whatsoever. I think Mondale won like District of Columbia and Minnesota, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> it's some random thing like that. But uh, but Emma, what was your what were you doing Tuesday night? Were you watching, or are you kind of like a lot of people who are just like, yeah, I'm just not going to watch it all. I was watching just because I like NBC and I like their political um, posts and everything. But I mean, I went to bed at like 11 because I knew no decisions were being made that night. Like yeah. I went in with that mindset. And so now like for the past or yesterday night or last night, I was watching and I watched for like two hours and I was like, oh, maybe it'll take weeks. We'll like move on. Kind of see how it goes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's been an interesting week from a work perspective. I found this really fun quote um, that I think just totally captures how I'm feeling right now. And so I thought I'd share it with you because I think it's perfect Omnita. But here you go. And it comes courtesy. I don't know where it's originally from, but it comes courtesy of Joe Narens, a faithful, faithful follower of Omnitalk. I feel like we need, of- I feel like we need like a moment here where we just like have some music and like a soft fade, like thoughts with Chris. Yeah, that's what this is. It perfectly captures my feelings okay. and then we'll get okay. to the headlines. But- Sorry, go ahead. No, it's great. I've seen a lot of hate spewed, Anne, in recent days about a man who is a constant winner and overachiever. And that's what the people who support him like about him. Yes, he's been caught in some lies and maybe twisted the truth a little bit, but he's still out there proving his haters wrong time after time. Some people are just jealous of someone who is successful and has money, throwing a hot for an underwear model at his side, and they hate him even more. You may not have wanted him in this role, but he's there now, and there's nothing you can do about it. I know it's possibly just going to get worse over the next several days, but like him or not, Tom Brady is turning things around in Tampa Bay. See what I did there? Totally weren't expecting to go in that direction. That's what I love. I actually thought stuff. you were going to say Jeff Bezos. Jeff Bezos. Yeah, <laughs> it could have been Jeff Bezos, right? Yeah, I know. I, that, it could be. That would play so into it so well. But hey, that's what we do. A little misdirection. Get you thinking. Meant to make you laugh. Meant to have a lot of fun. Also, why we just found out, fun fact, I haven't even told you to this. We are now required listening in Jim Leshensky, the professor at uh, Kellogg, his omni-channel marketing class. So whoo-hoo, kudos to us Required on listening? Yes. I feel, like, I feel like we need to like clean up the language a little bit. We got to get rid of the explicit rating if we're going to uh, be required listening. That's like some fancy stuff. Right, for right grad there. students. Yes. yes. Yes, we need to clean up the language for grad students. You're right. Exactly right. Well, Ed, do you want to start us off? 
I do, you guys. Some crazy news out of Walmart in this last week. Walmart is turning four of their stores into e-commerce labs as the increases in online sales are surging. So they're going to be taking two of their stores, two in Bentonville and two other stores to be announced, and they're going to turn them into laboratories to test how to turn the physical store into a more effective online fulfillment center. So some of the things that they're doing, they're going to be um, using digital tools like uh, an AR scanner to scan multiple boxes in the back of the house before they're bringing them out to the floor. In the past, they were using one scan at a time per box, so obviously much more efficient. And then on the floor, uh, employees will be using other tools like handhelds, and they're doing some updated signage so that they can speed order picking. Now, for me, I thought that the biggest, like, tell or like cool thing, I guess I'll say about this story is that much to um, the the theme that they had with the Sam's Club Now stores, Walmart is putting their tech teams on site in the stores so that they can do rapid prototyping to help improve these labs and the efficiency of these labs. So I think this is really cool. Um, it's a smart use of, of these stores to actually be live living labs. Um, and also I think this is another bellwether of just what the footprint of stores are going to continue to look like. We talked a little bit about it last week with the uh, Whole Foods one hour uh, grocery fulfillment for Prime members. And so I think that this is something to pay close attention to, to see you know, what Walmart's doing, what the rapid prototyping in the stores is looking like and what the footprint evolves to be as a result of this. So you what like this? I do. I think it's good. I'm, I'm pretty pumped about it. Yeah. Like scale one to 10. Like, are you like nine, 10? Well, I mean, I'm not kidding. I, I, I'll say like a good solid seven and a half. You that high? You're seven. Okay. I am. Yeah, Emma, what do you think? I'd probably put it at a five. Like I like five. watching. Why? I like watching what Walmart does, but I still just don't really shop there. And until there's like some kind of innovative kind of technology that really draws me to Walmart, that's kind of why I put it at a or five. Something about the shopping legal. experience. Yeah. But don't you think this helps with that? Like, do you yes, think this, definitely. like, in terms of a tactic? Like, so okay, got definitely. it. Yeah. I, 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 so Ann, you're a seven, huh? I'm. I don't know if I'm that high. And you said seven, right? I don't know if I'm that high. I think I'm like. I think I'm like a six on this. I think, I think it's cool. I think I want to learn more. I think if they do this right, I think this could be like Superman in disguise as Clark Kent for Walmart. Yes. Mm -hmm. I just dropped that for you, Gary and Ricardo, if you're listening, um, because it's cool. It's like you said, it's like, it's in the vein of Sam's club now, which is let's take a store, make it a concept environment to try new things. I think AR is super cool too. We just had a podcast with scan it where we talked a lot about that. I'm a a huge fan of the AR for store operations, not as much for consumer shopping experience, but for store operations, 100% yes. So it's cool that they're saying that's a key piece of that. I didn't catch the part about them living on site too. So that's that's pretty cool because I think you're right. That is a special sauce. Um, but they've got to do it. And I think, you know, hey, if we know anything, they have the new chief, chief what is he, chief Om Omni strategy officer, I think, Casey Carl. And if we know he believes in one thing from personal experience, it's fresh from the ground up thinking. That's just my question with this. Like there wasn't enough for me to know whether or not this is fresh from the ground up thinking, or is it like two test stores where you just try or four test stores where you're just trying incremental things. And so I'm, not, I'm still not quite sure whether this is Sam's club now or like incremental improvements over time in four stores. I also think four stores is a lot. I was curious what you think on that. And too, like 
why not just do one store and do it more conceptually like Sam's Club now and figure out where you want to go or, you know, full experience designs in one, then two, then three stores yeah. instead of like having four things peppered around. That seems weird to me. Well, one thing that I am hopeful that they, when they announce the other two stores is that they are in cold weather states. And that is because <laughs> Benville right. is one example, but they're in the South. You don't have seasonality there. And you, Chris, we were just talking about this. Yeah. I went to do a target curbside pickup the other day and um, they're, you know, restriping the lanes or doing something with their curbside arrangement um, at our local target. And it was crazy. I mean, they had a whole length of a lot of, you know, temporary spaces for drive up and it took a considerable amount of time and we don't even have snow yet. So I think that the actual fulfillment and the length of time and just what the customer experience is like when you start to add in other elements um, of weather and of, you know, time of day. And especially once we get out of this like pandemic life and we get back to the regular, you know, everybody's crowding at five 30 to get their, their stuff on their way home from work or school. Um, I think that that will be an experiment or part of the experiment that I think will be pretty critical as they kind of move forward. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I mean, I think we talk about this all the time, but like business models are business models and cycle times are cycle times for a reason. And you have to figure out how you're changing them. Otherwise, the business model can't move the way you want it to. And, and you're right, like all this activity of buy online, pick up a store, curbside activity, you're going to run into operational bottlenecks and you're going to, as you know, holiday season starts to peak, you can't get all the cars through the parking lots in the way you traditionally would. You can't manage that the way you traditionally would. So there's going to be a give or take. That's why I think back to the point, I, I would love to see, I mean, Kroger was talking about this. They haven't done it very much with it lately. Or I haven't seen anything, but like, you know, go to, go to pick up only store, or go to pick up only locations. I'd like to see more concept mm-hmm. work like that. And still yeah. again, just, just pivoting Walmart to be a better Walmart, which I think is important. Don't get me wrong, but we've always said like, you have to have that experimentation going on with other stuff as well. So I think, I think your, your, your point is very keen. It's a great observation. All right. Number two. I think this store is a cool uh, juxtaposition today. So we had some announcements, or this week, we had some announcements from Wayfair. And then we also had the relaunch of Pier 1. So quick background on both. This past week, Wayfair announced that its net income has shot up a remarkable 164, or did shoot up a remarkable 164% in the third quarter. And that as a result, it posted its second profitable quarter in a row. Wayday specifically was huge. It was the company's biggest day ever. And net income, I'm sorry, net revenue shot up over 66% over the prior year to $3.8 billion. So keep that in mind, everyone. Wafer is now doing $4 billion in revenue a, qu- a quarter. The company press release also said that Wayfair recorded 28.8 million active users up from roughly 19 million last year and repeat customers, which has been something that Wayfair has taken hits for in the past, placed an estimated 11 million orders during the period or were 71% of the total order volume. Pretty stellar. Then on the flip side, you've got Pier 1 launching it as a Pure Play e-commerce player. And this new site, according to Chain Store Age, stocks hundreds of familiar SKUs in categories like holiday, seasonal furniture, pillows, cushions, dining and entertaining, decor, lighting, candles, rugs, curtains, bath, dec- bath and beds and outdoor and more. I couldn't even say that. It's just so much fun. All right. And Emma, what do you guys think? I just am going to go out there. I don't get this pure one thing. I'll say why in a minute, but I want to hear what you guys think. I'm not getting it. 
Emma, well, first, you, first, I, oh, first, Anne. I want to know what people are doing who have Wayfair and Shopify stock because you have all of the. You're just you're rolling it in right now. This is unbelievable. Buying more stuff on Wayfair. Yes, yeah, right? right. Sorry, go to Emma. Emma, what do you think of this? Wayfair, I think, is awesome. Like they're killing it. They're they definitely deserve this. But I agree with you, Chris. The Pier One thing. There is no need for this to exist at all. Like it is too okay. much stuff that you can get in so many other places. And yeah, I just don't understand why they're coming back. I feel like the ending was a nice end of an era and we should move on. Emma, how so familiar are you with Pier One? I've been into Pier One stores before. There was like one Pier One, which when I was like six, I thought was the coolest thing ever because everything was so shiny in there and like it smells and whatnot yeah. yeah and so when i was like a child i thought it was really cool but as i got older i was like this is ridiculously expensive and this is all stuff that i have absolutely no need for yeah i mean my first store i ever can remember going to actually good old chuck father chuck took me into pier one he was a huge pier one fan this was like 1982 um but so emma i mean just back to you on that like i mean you being the youngest one here by far this whole like I mean, this, this whole thing, it's about let's, let's acquire all these, you know, former companies, former, re, you know, former legacy retailers, I shouldn't say former, but legacy retailers, bring them online only, re-enliven the brands, make them interesting to people again. And there's, there's a there there, supposedly, you're not understanding what that there there is right now. Okay. No, and and just, what do you think? Yeah. So I think, you know, background for people that might not be familiar Retail e-commerce ventures is the company that Chris is talking about that's buying up all these old brands. So they're buying everything from, they did the same thing with Dress Barn not too long ago. They bought everything from linens and things to Models. The owners, Ty Lopez, a media influencer, and a former NASA scientist, Alex Mayer, are the two co-founders of this. Yeah, he was like Zeusk or something, right? Like the dating yeah. app? Yeah. So, yeah. I, think it was so I mean, my question is, can they truly revitalize it? And in an interview with Ty Lopez, he was talking about how like there's this nostalgia because he was going into Pier 1 as a kid and he remembers it, similar to what Emma's saying. But I just don't understand what the value is of holding on to the Pier 1 name. I'm a little surprised that they aren't going in and they're they're not like turning this into a new brand, like keep the same product, keep the data that you find valuable about Pier One, keep the customer information that you bought in this acquisition. But I just don't understand why they wouldn't go for more of like a, let's let's rethink this. If we're really trying to go after the Gen Z audience, they don't have any attachment to the Pier One, to the dress barn. Like why not take this product set and try to leverage your experience as a media influencer, knowing what people are looking for in this vein add some sort of other like sustainability or social like a component to it i don't know i just i feel like there's something that's missing here to make them there's a hook even, we haven't seen yet yeah and i just yeah. don't understand it i mean they're smart people so i i don't I don't know. And I also, yeah. I guess, I, I'm also questioning the Wayfair results a little bit and just, again, given the times. So is this going to be sustainable? Are we going to see the same numbers post-pandemic? Because I think that you have a lot of people that were spending, especially in this category, over the course of the last six months. And that's probably why we're seeing these numbers. Um, I don't know if this is going to be a, a consistent thing. And then how many people do you need in the market? Do you need a Pier 1? Do you need a Wayfair? 
Well, I think that's the, I think that I think you're hitting on it there. I think that's the, the interesting thing about Wayfair that the repeat customer statistics are really interesting to me too, because that's always been the knock on Wayfair and Wayfair's whole plan all along has been, let's build, let's be the online place for furniture. And I think you could argue that when people are in that mindset, they're now becoming that place. And so that puts them in a really strong position. So if I'm them, hopefully the pandemic has helped to create my branding halo around that, which now, if you go back to this point about Pure One, there could be something going on here. I don't, I'm not smart enough to figure out what it is, but like, this is probably the category of retail that I have the most experience in that right. being home furnishings. And it's hard for me to understand how this plays out on a landscape. So first, like, look, you've got Amazon and Wafer. We just talked about Wafer building the brand as the online space, as the online home furnishing space. How do those business models work, Amazon and Wafer? They're huge marketplaces of home furnishings products, right? Like other people are selling stuff on there. It's all done through dropship. A lot of the stuff you can find other places. It's just a question of who can get it, who has the best price on it, and who can get it to you the most cheaply and most efficiently. And you have to remember in home furnishings, that's kind of a big deal. It's a really big deal. And so then you start thinking about, okay, well, who are the other, you know, the other, what are, what are the other options you have? Well, you could start selling your own products, right? But okay, Walmart, Target, they're already, Ikea, they're already kind of playing that value game. And quite frankly, I can remember going into Pier 1 stores as a home furnishings vice president and like saying, what is this is great. And honestly, it wasn't that much at the time, but like, what can we do better and a better value than them in this same kind of global look and feel? So that's a hard position for them to be in, especially when you're talking online, the pricing, the shipping dynamics, the competitiveness. And by the way, how many pure play home furnishings retailers have even worked in e-commerce over the last few years? The only ones I can even name, Hay Needle not working. The only ones I can even name are like Overstock and Wayfair. And Overstock's model isn't even that dissimilar than what I was just talking about. So I don't understand where this goes. The only route it looks like it has is what you guys are saying, which is let's build this brand. Let's communicate to people differently. And yeah, maybe you can do it. Maybe you can build that branding story or is it a flash in the pan? Now, that says nothing about all the other moves like dress and all that. Not coming on that just specifically in terms of like home furnishings. I'm not exactly sure how this plays out, but I don't know. And any final thoughts on that? Yeah, I appreciate your insight. I mean, you do, you've been in this world for so long. And I think ultimately for me, it's like, I don't understand how the business model works. If, you know, if what all of these things that you're saying are consistent, I don't know how Pier One makes it, I guess, how they stand a chance in this. I, I just, I'm not quite sure, but unless well, the they come up with a different format. Yeah. And the other thing I mentioned too, is like, like if you're in the market for like elegant furniture or, you know, you know, like dining pieces, things like that, which isn't necessarily all of what Pier One is, if at all, quite honestly, but like you, that's stuff that is hard to buy online too. So there's an element of where stores are still important in home furnishings too. And some of that discovery process, it's about finding the balance. So I don't know, we'll see how this plays out. Um, yeah, but I'm not, I'm not sold on it yet. All right, Emma, I know you love this next story. Yes. So Alibaba is rumored to be investing $300 million into Farfetch, and that has therefore ignited Farfetch shares up to a peak of 20% on Monday night. I am so excited for this. People You're have like been, a 10 on this. Oh, yes. People have been sleeping on Farfetch for a long time. And finally, like a big, important company like Alibaba is like, I think they're onto something. And Farfetch gets a lot of criticism, especially in like the luxury kind of media industry. But it is the best apparel retailer to ever exist. Like they have everything. They have 
literally everything and like the widest range of luxury brands and designers that you can find. And then the ways that they allow like retailers and brands to come into their site and sell via whatever model they want, whether they want to do discounting or not. They even have their own section for pre-owned stuff. Like they're just covering all the grounds as a company. So I'm very excited for this. Yeah. And are you feeling the same way? I have too. I think, I think I've been a big proponent of Farfetch for a long time. I think it's a cool company. Yeah, I think this helps give Alibaba some street cred in the luxury market. We know that that's a huge category for... more street cred. Yes, more street cred, yes. But I think that, um, you know, Farfetch has already been involved in the Chinese market right now. They've seen success with that. They... um, they were they acquired Curiosity China, which is a, a tech company based out of China that helped kind of get them into that market. JD.com's also invested in Farfetch. So like they've been in that space. And so I think that this amount of investment, if it ends up happening, could be really significant for getting them to be as big as they are, you know, around the rest of the world in China and to to really become this like luxury online retailer for the masses. So I think it's pretty exciting. I also think that for Alibaba, it's smart too. I mean, you look at the other things outside of like the consumer facing site that Farfetch puts out, they have their platforms, their, you know, their, their simple setup for brands and new brands and retailers and um, designers to come on the platform. And I think that that really will help as Alibaba again is continuing to expand their offerings and bring that into their overall uh, umbrella. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we had a chance to interview, um, I think the point I would add here, I had a chance to interview Kelly Kowal, their chief platform officer on shot. I think it was at shop talk like two years ago. One of the sharpest people I've ever interviewed on stage and had the pleasure to interview. Um, and yeah, I think to the points you guys are all making, like, and we'll talk about this more too. It just continues to go on the steam we've been talking about, which is marketplaces. Like, mm-hmm. and that's where I can will continue to fight the battle of when people say we need to curate, we need to curate. You don't. You're seeing people want to shop this way, where everything is available to them, and then the digital experience personalizes it to them. And the way that happens is you're you carry a lot of stuff. You're a marketplace, but everything is tailored to you. And so then which marketplaces we decide on which marketplaces we decide to spend our time is what's going to ultimately matter. And then you start to say, well, how does physical retail transform? And Kelly and I can remember talked about this on stage. You start taking those same technologies or the same decision making or that same decision making process that you're using to decide how you're going to show brands on the site like Emma was talking about. You can start to go into physical stores in really cool ways around luxury. Like here's, you know, the far-fetched luxury experience. Here's this brand's luxury experience. Here's this pre-owned luxury experience. The the routes out of this, I think, are endless. It's why we've always been a proponent of actually somebody should acquired have acquired this company a long time ago to bolster, you know, what they could do on the luxury side. I always thought this would have been a perfect fit for Target and the design, design, what was it designed for all kind of ethos mm-hmm. that Target always had. But you know, that sale V, that ship is for sure sailed now when you look at this. But I think it's just more on this road of, you know, marketplace introductions, which and I know that's the theme of the next one too. Yeah, for sure. So next story, Postmates is teaming up with retailers to do delivery in LA just in time for the holidays. So Postmates is going to um, intend to expand this to other cities, but for right now, they're going to 
uh, work with retailers so that retailers can sell their inventory by actually showcasing products with organized, configurable catalogs, um, including high-resolution re- images on the Postmates platform. So they can uh, a customer can go on Postmates, they can pay for their items, browse items, they can choose on-demand delivery through the Postmates um, delivery people or in-store pickup or curbside pickup. Uh, there's a tab in the Postmart, Postmates app now, um, just takes you right to the experience. And now Postmates was doing this uh, previously, but the experience was much more like um, like ordering food. You didn't have the product images, the catalogs, like it wasn't an online shopping experience. It was, you know, repeat orders of Mac Cosmetics or American Apparel was another person that they, they used to deliver for. But now this is really, again, to Chris's earlier point, it's setting up a marketplace. You're setting up the ability for retailers to have another outlet to sell their product in the way that they are still selling their product on their own independent sites, but just getting at customers in a new way. And I think this is a really cool sign of what's to come and another player getting into the space. What about you guys? Emma, you're like, you're like, miss, get it to me now. I want it now. I want the least effort possible. Yeah. Is are you like Anne on this one? Oh yeah. I would absolutely use this. And I think you of would. like specifically, of course, but I think of like Levi's, I know my size than all the Levi's. I do not want to go to the mall of America to get my pants today. And I don't want to wait three weeks for them to show up. So just get them delivered, like right there and then. Well, why not just go to Le- Levi's? Why go through like Postmates in this example? Because Levi's is so slow to ship things. Just because they, because you, okay, because you know, oh, fascinating. Okay, so even if like, Le- okay, I want to make sure I, I click into this. So even though like Levi's could like offer like expedited shipping through like this, like we've seen other people do off their own website. Oh, it's you still would, so slow. It's you like, still would say, okay, I know I have the confidence slow. in Postmates. Fascinating. Okay, that's plus, an angle. Plus, you have it. the Postmates subscription again, which you know you're you have the ability to it exactly. And so now you have the ability with that subscription to get access to this product. But the key underlying thing still being here is whether you're Emma and you want a, the product in an hour, or you're you, Chris, who doesn't care when I get it. Five to seven days later, you can put those wedgies on. You just wiggle right into them. Seven days later, when they arrive on your doorstep it's catering to people when they want their product and how they want their product and allowing flexibility and i think that is paramount wow wow you know who needs to get together i didn't even thought about those things i love this show i didn't even thought about those angles you know who needs to get together then these guys need to get together with a depth mind remember that remember that Mm -hmm. company we spotlighted where hey let's just take whatever like stood up element of retail and just create this marketplace and the shipping dynamics for it to happen and boom, Emma's problems are suddenly solved. I, I, the other thing that I think is cool about this story is like, what does it mean? Like, with, especially with what Emma just said, like, what does it mean for the one-stop shop? You know, like, does the one-stop shop change in our mind and become digital at some points in our lives and physical in others, you know, and who wins out or who loses, you know, within that game? I think that's really like fascinating to think about. Because when you look at like, who's going out to the one-stop shop diddly, digitally, diddly i don't know what that meant (laughs) digitally like who'd you guys say right like it's walmart amazon right with Mm -hmm. their huge marketplaces walmart with its new shopify partnership postmates with this announcement doordash has kind of been creeping up on the edges of that with kind of their dash mart thing that they announced a couple months ago 
Instagram. you know, and then on the other side, you know, what do you, you know, what do you got? Like you look at, you look at like who's doing market, the one-stop shop right now, like Target, Walmart in the physical world, you know, you've got dollar stores on the other side of the equation, expanding their assortments, going into home furnishings, going into food, doing it at even better value in prices. I almost start to wonder, like if I did a visual for those watching, like you're going to start to see a squeeze in the middle if you're not playing in that digital space. And then the physical space is going to get hit even more on price. And like when I start thinking about it, you know who I don't like in this and I hate it because it's close to home. I don't like where Target sits in that mix. Like, am I crazy? Like, what do you guys, what do you guys think there? Well, I think that the thing that you, the Postmates, the DoorDashes, what they're allowing for is the smaller retailers. So the one-stop shop is one thing when you're big, like Walmart and Amazon. I think that's maybe where you're talking about, Chris, is that Target isn't quite at that you end of the spectrum You can't get all the stuff yet. you can get at right. those other places at a Target. Target right. has been trying to do marketplace forever, but they never have done it. And so like, yeah, when it, are they, is that a vulnerable spot? It's interesting. Yeah, I mean, but allowing this this last mile fulfillment for the local retailers, which Postmates is really pushing on that for this latest announcement. They're like, yeah, we want the mom and pops to be able to have, you know, delivery so that people can still support small business right. during the holidays. Now, whether or not that becomes economically feasible for these mom and pop retailers is one thing that I think we'll have to continue to explore because we know from the restaurant industry that those fees are nothing to, they're, they're no small fee. It's a pretty significant chunk of the overall cost. But but I do think that when you define the one-stop shop, being able to bring in these, these localized retailers into this other ecosystem where you can, yeah. you know, get your essentials, your diapers, your formula, your milk, your cereal, and you could get something from a local retailer all with one subscription. That's a pretty significant benefit to people. I, I think it is too. And I think that's, yeah, I mean, that's why I think like if I, again, I think, to, you know, like Target has shipped, which is all about like shipping and they're working with other retailers, but are they thinking of it in this way and how much does this way matter for you to think about to make sure that the moats are wide enough that the, the you know that the, the competitors can't get through i don't know emma any other thoughts on this that you're thinking about i don't think so i mean i'm just i'm excited to see where it goes yeah it's just more choice for us right like as consumers like the cool thing is we can win and we can decide where to place the bets but Man, you can see why so much money is going here. Because if these theories are correct in any way, shape, or form, that's a huge that's a huge payoff in the long run, which is all about what venture investing is, really. At the end of the day, all right. To close it up, let's have some fun. Are you guys ready to have some fun? This is going to be a blast. I got in almost a literal fight with my my mother and my wife last night over this question. So, which oh might have also been politically related too. But that's another story. And shout out to my folks in Arizona that are all my peeps in Arizona wearing the Arizona hat today. Ah, uh, all right. Big news, Nestle this week acquired Freshly, the prepared meal delivery service for $950 million. Is that a lot, Anne? Seems like That's a lot. quite a lot of money. Yes. Seems like a lot. Yeah, it's, it's not a B. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind, I wouldn't mind it, having that amount of money someday. I think I'd yes. round that up to sure. a B. I think if I was like, <laughs> the, if I was like the founder in a bar, I'd be like, yeah, just sold it for a B. Did you really? No, not really, but I'm going to tell you Until that. somebody right, throws exactly. a drink on you and they're like, uh, you should go sit with your own bee. Right. That probably happened the before I even started. Yeah, but anyway, <laughs> for background, founded in 2015, Freshly delivers a menu of fresh chef-cooked meals to subscribing members across the United States that, according to the company, breaks down the, dares, the barriers, the dairiers, the dairiers, the barriers to healthy eating 
by delivering nutrition and convenience at scale. I actually just spoke with this company about a month ago. Yeah, it's interesting. Like the whole model is fresh, prepared, great meals. But the key is you don't prepare them yourself. You literally just can throw them in the microwave and the, or the oven and they're ready to go. Kind of like the things you get at like the supermarket that are already prepared in that same manner. So here's my question for you guys, because I'm really curious. And I know Ann and I have debated this for months. Meal kits. Fad or growing fixture of importance in American life following the pandemic? Where do you come down? Emma, we're going to start with you. I think it's going to be a growing fixture going on after the pandemic. I will say I had never heard of Freshly. And I think that these meal kits that you don't prepare for yourself, like that really confuses me. And I really don't understand kind of this company, but the meal kits where you do, they send you the ingredients and whatnot. Those I think are here to stay. I wish I had the amount of like disposable income to do that because it's painful when you like want to cook something new, you have to follow the recipe. It takes you four hours longer than you thought it would. And then you have to get all the new ingredients. I think it's definitely here to stay. And another interesting thing is all of the like lifestyle YouTubers that I follow I think they all make their income off of doing ads for HelloFresh. Like they have gone (laughs) hardcore on the YouTubers, (laughs) like all of them advertise for HelloFresh. I'm like, man, I really wish I could afford that. That's funny. That's funny. And what do you think? So Emma, bullish. That surprised me. I thought you were going to be negative on this one. This is what I love when we, this is all spontaneous. And what do you think? Now, let me preface this by saying I am not the target customer. I am not a meal kit person. I am not a freshly person. This to me is, I think there will always, I will say there will always be a space for this. I do not think it's a bad investment. I think that you're offering a bougie version of lean cuisine. And so there's always that. (laughs) Which is probably why Nestle's buying this. For those that don't know, Nestle actually owns lean cuisine. They're probably scared, scared S-less right now. Um, But this is not inexpensive, you guys. Emma alluded to that earlier, but like, yes, this is a great benefit for people if you can afford the cost. I mean, even with Freshly's like middle of the road package, plus a $6 shipping fee every single time that you get it delivered and you have to be home for the delivery, which right now is not a problem for a lot of people, but going forward, I think is something to factor in. So you're looking, you're still looking at like 10, $11 per person per meal. And it's this small contained. Yes, I know it's portion controlled, but let's be honest, like for a lot of people that, you know, to feel fulfilled after $11 when you can go to Chipotle and be like stuffed and have leftovers. I don't, I don't know. I just, I, I think that this is going to continue to be a trend. I think it's going to be big for a while while people are still at home, but I think that once we all can go back out to restaurants and things are, you know, post pandemic world, I think there's going to be a surge in people wanting to go out and be at restaurants and I can get a decent meal at a restaurant for that much money. That's whatever I'm feeling like that day that I don't have to decide a week ahead of time that I want. And I think that if you take a family of four times that $10 per meal, $40 for a meal for a family, $40 in groceries could get you a lot at a grocery store is not this that you could have leftovers for. So I'm not going to. 100%. Be... And no. God, I, 
God, I can't imagine because you spend so much time with me and the rest of my family. Like those are the exact same arguments that Mrs. Omnitalk and Grandma Omnitalk dropped on us yesterday. So or dropped on me yesterday too. I mean, here's what I here's what I would say to you, Richard. I think you have to think about the meal occasion. Okay. So all right, after this pandemic's over, is it gonna be like Caligula Caligula and everything opens up and we start eating out like crazy? Like, hell yes, for sure. But it's not gonna be all we do because one, people can't afford it. And two, there's just gonna be circumstances that don't allow that right so there's going to be still the times we're eating at home now when we eat at home how will we do it i think that's the big question right and it, you're right it's probably still cheaper and more economic economic to still go out and buy groceries but here's the other big factor i think which didn't get brought up in what you two said i think the one thing this pandemic has shown though is that there are some benefits to working from home and so in general i think you're going to see more people working from home and if you are working from home and especially for lunch, which I think is what Freshly is really going after and why the lean cuisine comparison actually, quite frankly, is I think apropos, is you're not gonna have the ability to go out for lunch like you would if you were typically working downtown or in a suburb or whatever, that's gonna take you time. It's also like, relatively speaking, also on par expensive. And then as more people adopt this, the prices will come down to you. So I think there's some efficiencies, you know, that are gained by using these types of setups to feed yourself if you are working from home. And so in mass, would I macroeconomically bet on the fact that that's going to happen? I would, and therefore, I think there's still more room to grow here and more adoption that you'll see from this. Um, the other thing, I've tried it. I, you know, I've been using Blue Apron. I'm singing their praises. Like, I just love it. I'm learning how to cook for the first time. Um, it makes me more efficient in my life because I don't have to go to the grocery store. Everything's there. I don't waste as much either, which I think is interesting. Now there's the plastic and all that stuff, but like, I don't know. I think it's, I think it's, I think it's, I think it's here to stay, but Hey, been wrong before. And you get the last word. I just think that you can't make, you can, I, I agree with your, your, what are the trends coming out of this? Will more people be working from home? The lunch thing? Fine. I, I agree with you. Like there is a value to having these. It's not a business that I would, that I'm not, I'm saying is not a viable one. There's definitely no, a, sure. a market for it. I just, I, I think you're a blue apron person because you're at home right now and your family's at home and you have oh, time sure. and your day's different. When you used to get home from work, when we were working back in the day at our old jobs and you'd get home from the right. office at six 30, the, I just, I don't see you whipping up the meal kits on, on a, I just, I don't know. I, I think you're right. But again, it's, and it's, that's actually what my parents, my family said too, but I was like, but, but Saturday and Sunday is different. Right. And I am working from home and like all that kind of stuff, you know, that factors into it. But, you know, and you can't go out for a a dinner like you guys have been using them a lot on the weekends. Right, Chris, because you guys aren't you you want to have a nice dinner. It is a lot of work to make a nice dinner to do that. So, like, yeah, this makes sense right now for you because you're you're substituting that Saturday night date night with a Blue Apron meal date. I I just don't know that you're going to keep doing that post pandemic. At least I sure hope not, because I really want to get out to the restaurants again. Yeah, you're right. It's a, you know, little nice, nice cooked dinner, a little bottle of wine, a little movie. I see what you got on deck this weekend. uh, Yeah, that's what we got planned this weekend. And (laughs) what blue apron meal are you making this weekend? (laughs) All right. On that note, let's wrap this one up. That was a fun show, fun topic at the end. Happy birthday to my mother's love muffin, Sam Shepard, Tatum O'Neill, and my favorite Bond girl of all time, Bamford Jansen. 
And remember, if you can only listen to one retail blog in the business, make it Omnitalk. Our Fast Five podcast is the quickest, fastest rundown of all the week's top news. And our twice-weekly newsletter tells you the top five things you need to know each day and also features special content exclusive to us and just for you and all within the preview pane of your inbox. You can sign up today at www.omnitalk.blog. Thanks as always for listening in. Please remember to like and leave us a review wherever you happen to listen to your podcast or on YouTube. And of course, be careful out there. OmniTalk Fast Five is brought to you by FastSensor. FastSensor is the first AI-powered business intelligence platform that provides business owners with ROI-focused optimization tools tailored to fit your organization. With FastSensor, you can successfully monitor safety, efficiency, and journeys across your organization from customer flow to queue management to the effectiveness of digital signage and promotion. Visit FastSensor.com to learn more. And it is also brought to you by Takeoff. Takeoff is transforming grocery by empowering grocers to thrive online. The key is micro-fulfillment, small robotic fulfillment centers that can be leveraged at a hyper-local scale. Takeoff also offers a robust software suite so grocers can seamlessly integrate the robotic solution into their existing businesses. To learn more, visit takeoff.com.